At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 345th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. This urban farm podcast is brought to you by the 2018 Food Revolution Summit. I say food choices are our most important factor to staying healthy. The Food Revolution Summit helps us in this discovery process. It's free, online, and features 24 top food and health experts, teaching us how to reduce the risk of the most notable diseases of our time. Visit urbanfarm.org forward slash summit to sign up for this life-changing event. Today on our podcast, we have someone who inspires through film. We're talking with Antoinette Wilson about inspiring stories about living the change. Tasmania-born and New Zealand-bred, Antoinette began her professional career in book publishing and dreamt of managing the editorial offices of Random House New York by the age of 40. Instead, just before her 40th birthday, she took on the management of the harvest and labor at a CSA in rural New Zealand. She had begun studying toward a permaculture design certificate and was committed to living a low-impact lifestyle. During a 2015 documentary project exploring simple living, she realized the extraordinary capacity of film to educate and teamed up with Jordan Osmond of Happen Films. The pair write, direct, and produce short films, and more recently their new feature film, Living the Change, inspiring stories for a sustainable future. The self-taught filmmakers live in a 20-square-meter, hey folks, that is 215 square feet, unplumbed but luxurious room on the end of a shed in a friend's three-acre food forest and have a passion for sharing stories that educate and inspire about how we can all live beautifully on the earth. Welcome to the show today, Antoinette. Are you ready to rock the food forest? I agree. Yeah, let's go foraging. Sweet. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. So I guess I was a young greenie right from the early days. And there's no good reason for that because I wasn't raised in a family that was particularly environmentally minded. There wasn't a lot of discussion around green politics or anything of that nature. But for some reason, that was my bent. And from an early age, in my mid-teens, began volunteering at the Environment and Peace Information Centre in my local town and developed, you know, quite a passion about saving the rainforests and the whales and the dolphins and so on. I look back now and think it was all quite a, a sort of a surface understanding of what the problems of the world mm-hmm. are. And this was in the late 80s, early 90s. So a different sense of urgency, I think, around the problems that we face. Yeah, think. 
yeah, I think we have much more sense of urgency around it now than we did then. But definitely, you know, a growing understanding. But I look back on my understanding of what was going on and I could feel that there was something wrong with the world, but I didn't really understand what it was. And I just knew that I wanted to be part of fixing the problem. I actually just want to jump in here real quick. In 1974, I wrote a paper on how we were overfishing the oceans because I had a sense that there was something wrong with the way we were living on the planet. Wow, at 14, that's a great thing to be writing about in any era. Well, yeah, what I just heard you say is pretty much the same thing. You had that knowing for yourself. Tell me more about that. You know, I don't even understand it, to be honest. It was a really strong sense and, you know, beyond just sort of the environmental, beyond wanting to save the forests and and the dolphins, I felt that things were wrong, you know, in me as well. Like, I feel like, you know, we all talk about everything being interconnected. Yeah. You know, I feel like my health and my, the health of my body and the health of the planet are one and the same. Yep. This is what I feel now. You know, what we do, the way that we treat the soil that we grow our plants in, it should be the same way that we treat the the microbiome that we put, you know, our food into. Yeah. So, you know, that connection between my body and what was going on in the world existed, but I didn't really understand it. And it's really only in the last probably five or six years that I've begun to see how that that connection actually does work. Yeah. Connection actually exists. <laughs> it wasn't just a feeling. Right. Really interesting, but, you know, just so vague for me back then. Not a solid understanding at all, just the sense that things were wrong. Right. I was really lucky when I was 16. My folks gave me an extraordinary opportunity to be an, an exchange student overseas for a year. And I chose Brazil. Wow. It had a huge impact on me. And this was 1992. This was the year of the Rio Earth Summit, the first Earth Summit. Uh-huh. I desperately wanted to be there. I couldn't believe that I was in Brazil at the same time that this event was happening. And there was a youth summit taking place, and I applied to be part of that and was accepted into that. We was able to spend a week in Rio during the youth summit with 60 students from around the world. We spent a few days thinking up ways that we would, what our contribution to, to saving the world would be. And it, was a, it had a big impact on me, interestingly, more than anything, because I could see in that space the politics that were playing out to a certain extent. You know, I was 16. I didn't really get what was going on, but I did get a real sense of the eco thing being a political thing and not necessarily being that not everybody was as passionate as I was about um, the core issues. So the big thing that had a really huge impact on me was that Rio was cleaned up for that event. All the poor were shifted out of town. The streets were swept. The city was pretty much polished. Mm-hmm. And it was a completely, completely different city. And that had a really big impact on me because that notion of hiding the reality of what Rio was right. in order to present a conference to, to all of these people all over the world, you know, a sort of a mirage so that they wouldn't be offended by the reality. I mean, fundamentally, what are we all talking about? That had a really big impact on me that they felt the need to do that when they were talking about something that was intrinsically apart. Yeah. I learned a huge amount during that year because I was brought up in a white middle class family and environment and I was living in in quite the opposite. And so I had my first experience of racism. I had my first experience Mm. of serious poverty. So I saw a lot of things that year and experienced a lot of things that year that really probably changed the person that, that I was becoming. Yeah. 
yeah, that was a fundamental sort of time in my life. But interestingly, when I came home, I went off to university and, you know, studied towards my future career, which was in book publishing, and became quite distracted by that, just kind of walked away from everything that I had experienced and learnt in that environmental space, and became very focused on my career. And so for the next sort of 10 or 15 years, my work in book publishing was really was my life. But I've always been somebody who follows her dreams, or I've never been very good at not getting what I want. <laughs> One of the things that I happened to, to want in my 30s was to be a tango dancer. And that ended up wow. taking me to Buenos Aires. Yeah, so I moved to Buenos Aires in Argentina, took my work with me, and had a, a wonderful six years living there and dancing, but became quite unwell. And that experience of becoming unwell and starting to explore what was going on in my body brought me back full circle. Yeah. So that brought me back to thinking, okay, so, you know, what's happening in my body? Why is it happening? Exploring that because I'd never felt the conventional medicine. So I, I ended up going down any other path that I could find, really. And of course, you know, inevitably when you do that, you know, when you start exploring how food affects your body, then you start exploring where food comes from. And then mm -hmm. you start exploring what affects the food, you know, at its origin. And before I knew it, I couldn't live the life that I was living any longer. Wow. I'm going to jump in here again. I, I have to tell you that our lives parallel oh. a lot like that. I had 20 years in the middle of my life. I had gone away from farming and gardening and I was in technology. And around 1999 or 2000, I took a look at my life and it's like, you know what? This doesn't support who I am in the world. Who I am in the world is an educator on how to grow your food. And so I shifted, I shifted back to what I was doing before this thing started, you know, before my technology career started. So, wow. Yeah, I find it really interesting. You know, I envy the generation that's coming through now and all of the knowledge that's available to yeah. them by the internet to really sort of understand what's going on in the world that I think we didn't have to a certain extent. But there's a lot of us who are coming back to this yeah. you know, in, our, in our 40s or whatever and sort of rediscovering. And it's, a, it's an amazing rediscovery, you know. I mean, oh, yeah. You can lament the fact that you sort of got distracted for, for 15 or so years, but it's such an incredible rediscovery. Yeah, and here's a couple of things. First of all, what I know is that that 20-year technology piece in the middle significantly informed who I am today and how I am. You know, I'm able at the age of 57, I'm able to manage technology and you know, that's that's a gift for me. So there's so many gifts that happened during that 20-year period of, you know, that I brought forward with me. And I can see that that's the case for you as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the skills that, that I have as a, as a book editor have absolutely fed the, the skills that I've been developing yeah. working in film. Yeah. And the other thing I want to do is I want to really acknowledge you for listening to what there is for you to be doing. That's really one of my points of this podcast is to bring people to the show that are following their passion, they're listening and they're doing probably what's not conventionally thought that they should be doing. And so I really want to acknowledge you for listening and moving that direction because that, that's powerful. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, for, I don't know what it is that makes one person different to another in this respect. You know, I describe myself as being someone who can't put up with being unhappy or, or not being content with my lot. I will always strive to be content with my lot. Mm -hmm. But 
I'm not sure what, what it is that drives that necessarily. You know, I just think so many people, so many, so many of my close, you know, friends and, and my, my family who understand what I'm talking about in terms of the issues that we're facing, absolutely get it. But can't find a way, can't see it within themselves or can't find a way to be able to make the kind of changes that... That need to be made. That need to be made, yeah. And, and I absolutely understand, you know, I have no children. I have a flexible job that allows me to, you know, work from home. There are so many things in my life that I consider myself privileged, you know, right. to, to have that enabled me to live the way that I live. I'm very aware of that. And so, you know, when I look at family who, you know, have kids and perhaps a single income, you know, I know how hard it is to really take on board the issues that we're facing and the changes that need to be made. Yeah. I absolutely get that. I see people who can make the changes like I've been able to make and a lot of people around me have been able to make, like you've been able to make and a lot of your listeners yep. as template creators, as space creators. Uh-huh. So we're, we're, we're creating a space for people to walk into when, you know, when things really hit the fan and, and we and change actually has to be made, there's no choice. And I yeah. do believe that that's, that that's coming. And so I see myself as a space creator. I'm creating something that, you know, we're educating, but we're also we're learning different ways of, of being, developing resources in order to be able to, you know, continue that education. You know, when things are really difficult, whether it's climate change or whether it's economic issues, whatever, you know, we need, there are so many resources that we need to set yeah. in place yeah. for everybody to be able to walk into. Yeah. All right. So we've been jumping around this idea of living on the planet and living more lightly. Let's talk about your movie, Living the Change, Inspiring Stories for a Sustainable Future. I got to watch about the first half of it before we got on today. So tell us, how did it come to be? Okay, so when I was, as you said in your introduction, when I was 40, I took over the management of a cow farm in a community-supported agriculture market garden here in New Zealand, and that was life-changing for me. I did. I was doing two hours a week of voluntary work and ended up doing four days a week of paid work and, and absolutely just loving this complete lifestyle change of being away from the desk. It was a, a huge learning experience uh-huh. about food and soil and food industry. So while I was there, you know, my so this was super life-changing, and over the course of that time, I began thinking about other aspects of my life, like my community. And I started exploring the idea of living in community. I was sitting at my computer one day researching communities and I received an email with a subject line, free rent in an eco-village for a year. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I thought, yes. And they were looking for experienced permaculturalists and I wasn't, I wouldn't have considered myself an experienced permaculturalist. And so I thought, oh, you know, damn, I don't fit that criteria. And so I sent it on to a friend and, and thought, that's a shame. And then a few days later, I thought, no, damn it, that is so what I want to do. Nice. The brief description that they'd written about it, I just thought, this is me. This is where I want to be now. Uh-huh. And so I spent a week writing an application. We were allowed to write a one-page application and sent that off and I got a Skype interview and I was accepted. And so we were nine people from around Australia and New Zealand who were brought together to live for a year on a property in Victoria, Australia, in the the southern state of Victoria. Uh And... It was a property that was being developed, so it had a tiny earthship on it, it had a, a little cob cabin, had a little earth bag house, and it had a, a conventional shed, which was a sort of a commun- going to be a communal space to begin with. So we were nine strangers with very little brief and no hierarchy, and one of the nine people was a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was to spend a year exploring Voluntary simplicity, exploring what it would take to live with a one world footprint. So I think 
the current understanding is that it would take at least three worlds in order to continue living the way that Australia lives. I think it's something like six for the states. Yeah, exactly. So we were exploring what it would take to live with one a one world footprint, and we would do this over the course of a year, and then and then we would sort of see where where that where we were and whether we want what we wanted to do from there. But the idea was the one year project was in order to make a documentary film about it. So the filmmaker living with us was Jordan Osmond, and he was an, a completely inexperienced filmmaker. It was his first film. Oh, nice. Yeah, and we were all completely really inexperienced at living in community. Most of us had some permaculture design certificate learning, or our lifestyles kind of revolved around that. We we're all very passionate about it. We all came with an absolute passion for the idea that one person whose idea this was, you know, his his vision, we all really believed in it, loved it, and were enthusiastic about being part of it. Mm -hmm. But we came with nine very different perspectives about how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) You think? Oh, yeah. The story of that year is a whole other thing. That became a film that Jordan made and that I ended up joining the writing team on towards the end of the year and helping to produce. And so that was a simpler way, Crisis Opportunity was the film. And that's had just about a million views now on YouTube. And that went up for free on YouTube two years ago and has just received such amazing feedback about it. And lots of criticism too, because, you know, there were so many successes and failures over the course of that year in terms of achieving what we wanted to achieve. Right. But the really important thing that came out of that year for me was meeting Jordan and seeing through his eyes and through his work. And, you know, that he's this completely inexperienced but born to make films young guy, an absolute passion for what he's doing. And I just could see immediately the the way that film could impact. Yeah, the fact that we need we need new stories, and that film is an incredible way of impacting on people with new stories and new ideas, new concepts, and yeah. inspiration. Mm-hmm. And so over the course of that year, he and I went on a road trip in a, up the eastern coast of Australia to film other communities to get some insight into other communities. And we made some short films as a result of that. You know, they got great feedback on online and we just thought this is such an exciting thing to be doing. We're meeting extraordinary people. We're being inspired. We're, we're creating films that are inspiring other people. We're just receiving incredible feedback online. And we could really see that in the permaculture space or the permaculture eco space mm-hmm. online, there's not a lot of really high quality film being made. Right. You know, a lot of people are doing kind of backyard stuff. And this felt like a niche and it felt like something that we were just in the best place to fill. And so we made a decision to come back to New Zealand where I've have spent most of my life and travel around I had connections here and so so you know travel around and meet people who were doing some really inspiring things to make to change their lives and to make short stories about them and so that's what we did and we released short story short films as we as we were traveling mm-hmm. but we also met other people along the way about whom we couldn't necessarily make a short film but who had really interesting things to say and that and whose message we really wanted to share as well and so we started thinking you know wouldn't it be great to to create a feature-length document out of this and bring together those stories interspersed with the really interesting information and knowledge and these concepts and ideas that these other people we were meeting were, were coming up with. And so kind of belatedly, and it was sort of an interesting way that this film came about, but we, we ended up sitting down over the course of a couple of weeks and writing it and Jordan started editing it. And it's nearly a film. We're launching it in two and a half weeks. We haven't actually got the, the sound mix back from the sound mixer yet because DHL have lost the hard drive. Right. It's it's nearly there. So that, that's been the process. You know, it's a film that brings together some beautiful, inspiring stories about growing food, about 
alternative currencies, about composting, including humanure composting, which is something I'm particularly passionate about, yep. about going rubbish free. So really just, you know, exploring as broadly as possible, you know, all of the things that are happening in one place, like, you know, a little country like New Zealand. Yeah. And it was so inspiring. Everybody was just so inspiring. These aren't stories about people talking about doing. These are stories about people that are actually living this lifestyle. You know, and living in, in lots of different really different ways so one of my favorite stories from from this film is about a couple he's a general practitioner doctor he's a family doctor wow she's an illustrator and when we interviewed them they had a 10 month old baby nisa and they were living in a, a little 20 square meter old shearer's cabin on some land and the land is owned by someone else who with whom they have a work rent arrangement so they work in exchange for their rent Mm -hmm. So Tom works for about four weeks a year as a doctor and Sarah is an at-home mum and they both work on the land. So they've been able to recreate their life completely. You know, they've gone from having to pay off a mortgage and live in a, in a house that was high maintenance. Right. They've made this choice to create a lifestyle that has a very small footprint and that feeds them not only, you know, beautiful food from the land, but also just this much quieter, much more connected existence that yeah. they've now got. Yeah. And they were so inspiring to nice. talk to and, and just to be around. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it inspires us when we get to meet people like that. I know for me, it inspires me to want to be more aware this whole, you know, two years of making this, or what ended up being that making this film, but making the short films and then this feature-length documentary, we've learned so much mm -hmm. and changed so much about our own lifestyle. This year, I'm going full to, to rubbish free, and that's been a really interesting thought process, you know, in terms oh, yeah. of what comes into my life and what I really need yeah. and what I can do without. And that's been as a result of the rubbish free interview that we did with a couple here in New Zealand who have been through that process. So, you know, it's just been so inspiring on every level. Perfect. Like I said, I got to watch about half of it before, and this is the pre-cut that you guys sent yeah. me a link to. And one of the things that I appreciate about the movie is the first 20 minutes or so are explaining what the problems are. Things like our growth model and peak oil and green versus the oil revolution. One of the people that was speaking said, nature has a bold diversity of resilience when we look to nature and plan with nature. So what was that experience? Let's talk the first 20 minutes of the movie. What was that experience like of discovering what actually are the problems? Yeah, it's really interesting. So the first thing I'll say is that we really tried very hard to keep the problem part of the film down to 20 minutes uh -huh. because you could go on a long time oh my god yeah we really wanted this to be a, a film that inspires hope in people mm -hmm. and so hence you know, the majority of it is stories that are hopeful and inspiring but that first 20 minutes yeah it had a, an absolutely huge impact on us i think one of the most important things i learned from everything that that we kind of researched and in the interviews that we did over those two years was probably you know that this idea that we have deserve everything that we've got now that we should have everything that we've got now that we just have to find a green way of being able to have everything yeah. that we've got now i saw an electric car the other day that had a license plate zero emissions i'm not sure how they'd spelled that but i can't remember how they did it but it was something along the lines of saying you know this is a zero emissions car well it's not it took fossil fuels to make everything about that car the, yeah. car, the car happens to run on electric energy but everything else that's gone into it 
requires fossil fuels. Everything that's required to get a plane into the air, to get all of the things that we will not have with green energy, and all of the things that we think we should be able to have with green energy, but actually we can't. And that was really important for me to learn, because that changes, once you really take that on board, that changes everything about how you perceive what you feel you should be able to have, yep. and what this planet can actually sustain. Yeah. That's a big, big reality shift for people when they get that. I know it was for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard because that techno-optimistic perspective that so many people have, it gives you so much hope. It's okay because the scientists are going to work this out. Right. You know, if everybody had a, an electric car and everybody had windmills and everybody had solar panels and everything would be all right. Yeah, not so much. Yeah. It's distressing to understand that actually that's not the case. Yeah. And that we need to go deeper with our change. Yeah. So what was one of the favorite things for you about creating this movie? Absolutely, without doubt, it was every single person we met. Every single person we met was inspiring and educated us Yeah. on some level. Every single one of them, it was really incredible. Every time I watch her interview, I cry at the end of it, and Jordan always laughs at me because <laughs> because even after watching this film about a million times by the end of her interview, and her name is Helen Jew, and she's 80, and she's the most active person I've ever met. At 80, she's more active than anyone I know, <laughs> and she is so passionate about uh -huh. what she's doing. Her big thing is local currencies, mm. economic situation. She's very, very educated on it. And this has been in the last probably 20 or so years of her life that this has been her great passion. But she's just so full of energy. But in that interview, she said, you know, that she described sending a proposal to her local council about climate change being the most important thing that we should be dealing with. And the council actually came back to her and said, okay, but so what does that look like? And she was just so overwhelmed to have that response from them. And so she went to her local community group that she's part of and said, you know, we've got an opportunity here, let's do something. And, and they did. And she said, that's what feeds me. That's what drives yeah. me, that I can give back to this community that's given me so much where I've raised my children. And every time I hear it, I, <laughs> I get tearful because that's what we need. Yeah. <laughs> that's the kind of interaction with our community that we need. Yeah. She's doing so much. Yeah. Well, amen to that. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm going to go back to the experience of living in community, actually, because although the, the project itself was successful, and there were many, many things that were successful about that year, I was stunned to find how challenged I was by it. It felt like failure to me that I hadn't been as successful as I expected to be in relating to my fellow community members and thriving in the space that we'd created mm -hmm. and being a useful and productive member. I really, you know, I was so overwhelmed by the community challenges. I was stunned. I really thought I was going to be much better at it than, than I was. And I think that that's a really interesting experience to have had. It's a really, really important experience for me to have because that is I think probably quite common. Can Anybody can kind of get together with a group of people and build houses and develop gardens and so on. Living in community and getting on with your fellow community members. Oh, yeah. That, that is such a huge challenge. And I came away from the year feeling that I hadn't succeeded mm. in the way that I would like to. But I came away feeling, okay, well, I've learned something really important here. And, and that is? Well, I, do, I certainly learned much better communication skills. Yeah. But I also learned that I'm not someone who can share a kitchen space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. So when I live in community, it's gonna, I'm going to need a self-contained space. Yeah. <laughs> That's an important thing to know about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly sort of communication skills. Right. I think I would be a much better community member in a different situation. But it was an interesting thing to feel a failure at because I went into it with so much kind of enthusiasm and expectation 
expectation right. of that not being the hard bit. <laughs> so what do you consider your biggest success? You know, the film's not even out yet, but it doesn't actually need to be accessed. My biggest success is the fact that I have been part of making it because this wasn't my background. This this isn't my education. It's not something that, that I've ever even been involved in beyond community project. So the fact that I've been able to sort of work with Jordan to the extent that I have to write the story and to do the interviews to get great stories out of these people and then to write a documentary that we feel really happy with. You know, we, it's flawed like anything. You know, our first Just Us feature-length documentary, but it feels like a huge success to me yeah. that we've created it. And it feels like the most important thing I've done in my life. Yeah. Well, and, you know, in watching it, I was impressed. Oh, good. I have decades of experience in permaculture. I have two degrees from university here in the States that kind of revolve around this notion of sustainability. And the information that you were presenting in the first 20 minutes was spot on. Great. That's good to hear. Yeah. And the way it was being presented, it was presented professionally, consciously. You're not beating anybody over the head with it. It's a good listen. It Definitely. Good. It's nice to hear because not a lot of people have seen it yet. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing that link with me. And y'all are going to be able to see it too. All our listeners out there will be able to watch this. Yep. So what drives you? Do you know, like going back to what I was saying earlier, it's a desire to feel that things are right in me, in my body and in the world and that everyone would feel that, you know, like just to not feel that sense that things aren't quite right. Yeah. And I'm really driven by that. Like, what does it feel to feel right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Beautiful. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Well, it would be, and it's probably well known by your listeners, it would be Nourishing Traditions by Sally Fallon. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was life-changing for me. It's a recipe book, but the first 100 pages were full of information that was completely new to me when I was looking to heal my body and just absolutely blew my mind. It completely opened my mind and it caused me to, you know, to move back to New Zealand and get a job in a CSA and completely alter yeah. my path. Really, really important book to me. I don't necessarily agree with everything that she's a proponent of, but had a massive impact on me. And I really am grateful to her for that book. Well, I love that. You're the first person that's mentioned that in 340 episodes. So Oh, yay. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I think it is a, a hugely influential book. Yeah, that's Nourishing Traditions, correct? Yeah. Perfect. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Do you know, I think it's follow your heart. You know, I talked before about being someone who follows my dreams and follows my passions. When I say follow your heart, I don't mean it just in the sense of seeking, you know, personal happiness. I mean it in the sense of following what feels right in terms of how you feel in your body and how you feel in the world. And I think a lot of us have lost connection with that. You know, we're so distracted by what the media and, and big industry and what well, basically society tells us is right. And it's finding that notion of what truly feels right. There's a beautiful quote at the very end of the film from Charles Eisenstein, where we end the film on this because we just thought it was so perfect. He says, trust what feels loving, trust what, what feels good, trust what feels aligned with who you really are. If you live by that and spread that vibe and other people start living by that, then the whole planet is going to change. Wow. So I just think that's so true. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Antoinette. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And it's lovely to be part of this huge thing that you've created. And I really congratulate you on everything you've done for the last two years. It's quite incredible. Well, thank you. And that's the three, two and a half years on the podcast, but four decades with the other yeah. stuff. So. <laughs> So 
Let's talk about the film. You mentioned that it's going to be released in two or three weeks. We're in the middle of February right now. So by the time the podcast launches on our channel, you'll be able to see this movie most likely. Where do they find it? So the film becomes available for purchase on the 10th of March, 2018. Mm-hmm. And it's available at www.livingthechangefilm.com. Beautiful. On that website, you can see the trailer and all of our... We've had requests from all over the world for people to host a screening. So we've got all of the information about how to do that. Oh, great. And so livingthechangemovie.com is where we can find you at. Livingthechangefilm.com. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash living the change, which includes a link to the movie. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. My intent with the Urban Farm Podcast is to educate and inform. So when I find a particularly good opportunity, I want to share it with everyone. The 2018 Food Revolution Summit is one of them. As you listen, you will be informed inspired and motivated to improve your health you'll get cutting edge insights and information from 24 of the top food and health experts in the world hosted by my friend ocean robbins with interviews conducted by best-selling author john robbins this annual week-long online event is free to attend you will learn from experts you can trust about how to improve your health and reduce your risk of chronic disease sign up at urbanfarm.org forward slash summit to join the revolution. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.